Hi everyone, you're listening to Refugees on Air. Today we are joined by Mohammed Semra. Um, Mohammed, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and where you're from? I was born and I grew up in Sudan. I migrated to Australia at a young age. And um, I came, I started my primary education. And yeah, so that's a bit about um, basically where I came from. So currently I do a few things. I'm studying Bachelor of Politics philosophy and economics. I was doing commerce and international relations, but preferences changed. Mm-hmm. And so currently I just do youth work, community work, and yeah, it's like liaising with community members just to see how we can best utilize the talents of our multicultural youth. So that's a bit about myself. Cool, awesome. I might just jump in and quickly ask, I've been following your social media um, pretty recently and I've just been completely inspired by all the work that you're doing um, for the uh, nine public housing towers that are um, that were in lockdown in Melbourne. Do you want to tell me a little bit about how you got involved with, I think it's um, AMSA Youth Connect and the work that you guys are doing over there? Yep, so um, basically, like everyone else, um, I saw this on social media. A few people that I know, they are connected with with the with with, with the local mosque when i saw that basically that outcry um of the community and that seeing everyone galvanize towards one area and wanting to support i think that pushed me to okay say well what can i do and basically how can i support my community so um so i came here and then like one thing led to the other and just seeing everyone work together and what we are trying to accomplish here so yeah, that's amazing. And you said that you were also doing some um, translating work for the people over there? Yep. So um, what happened was is that there was a call. Because the problem was is that most of the information going to people were primarily in English. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like if you know the makeup of these towers, most of them are minorities and migrants. Mm-hmm. And some don't really speak English. So what we tried to do is, is because it was taking a while for um, government departments to it, and I actually don't know why. I don't know what the reason was. So um, I was contacted by um, by a close friend of mine. Um, she lives in Canberra, and she was like, "Okay, so they organise a web page, and they're gonna put all the information there, and basically we can show it our network." So what we did was, is we collected people in the community that speak those languages and have personal connections between the towers mm-hmm. to basically translate key messaging around um, testing, around basically next steps. Well, um, so what happens, what's hard lockdown? Because I feel like there was a lot of miscommunication and uh, between different like departments. And that was really shocking for me. I think a lot of people trust the government agencies to do basically some quality work. And that was not seen the past week. There was a lot of negligence on their part. I think that's one thing that the community had to fill and take lead in. Because I feel like one thing that government agencies didn't have in this particular situation is cultural awareness so because they were cultural awareness um the food they were given wasn't culturally appropriate the information they were doing wasn't culturally culturally appropriate and in terms of like how it was managed there was no consultation at the beginning with community leaders in those positions of influence within the community so that's one thing that, that we felt like had to change yeah. so that's when we we identified key messaging and how we can translate to basically fill those gaps left by government agencies. Yeah. 
what was life like back in Sudan for you? Is there a specific memory that you remember, like, very vividly? Yes. So, growing up in Sudan, my family didn't have much. So, like, um, frankly, like, we never needed more than we had. And, but in the eyes of our neighbours and government officials, we could afford the finer things that Sudan had to offer. We were considered inferior. And I think this was the first instance of discrimination that I faced. But it was more of a sense in materialism. And it came down to basically different tribes. I'll give you an example. So me, I, I, I'm from the, a tribe called the Halandoa. And a subsection of that tribe is the Samanandoa. That's where I belong to. And my tribe, for many years, have been pushed aside to the outskirts of our city. So we're country people. And for a very long time, we were seen as uneducated. And I cannot name a single person in my my whole tribe that I can say finished high school or went to uni or has a degree. And that says a lot about basically the subservience that my tribe had to the societal norms. Mm -hmm. So everyone basically put a perception on us. And I think as a tribe and as a people, we accepted that. And I think it comes down to precedent because it was it's, it's hard to be the first to start anything. So um, that's where I saw for the first time the consequences of discrimination, the consequences of society not being equitable mm. and only favoring a few, like a subsection of the population. So, yeah, so in, in terms of like Sudan, it was, it was very difficult. Um, my father, for, for a very long time, he was getting targeted by the government for views that he held. And so one day, mom just said, like, had enough. She was like, okay, we need to seek a better life in a new country, one not preordained by position, status, or wealth, and where our potential will not be stifled by um, others' preconceptions. We decided to go to Australia because my grandma, she was in Australia, and so we went through United Nations. So lucky we found out a way where we can um, seek um, asylum in Australia. Mm -hmm. So that's how I came. And, yeah, I think the most vivid memory I have of Sudan was just, the constant discrimination. Like, I, I, like I would go in, into the city and quickly be identif identified as, as as one of my tribe, and people base me on that. Mm. People would quickly judge me because of because of what section I belong to. But and it was weird because overseas it wasn't racism. You know what I mean? Like we all looked the same. Mm. But we were discriminated against for the things we didn't possess. And when I came to Australia, that discrimination changed. Yeah, I was I was just going to ask as a follow-up question, you know, facing uh, discrimination in your own country, when you came here, did that change? Okay, so well, when I came here, right, um, entered primary education, and basically I laughed and played with kids of different colour and different religion to me, right? And, like, I went to the same school as the kid across the road, even though his dad drove to BMW or, um, or, like, their own... A, a double story house and everything and I began to see that we're all equal but like basically what had happened is that the more situations I came across or the, or the more predicaments that I was in I began to realize who I was as a person and that was an African Australian in a country that is dominated by by whites and I think that was a realization that I um, came to at a very young age and I think it was because of the experiences that I had in the education system as a young kid, I never really interacted with people outside of school. So I think school shaped my understanding of the world. 
And when I came here, like I began to see the certain reactions and the certain basically preconceptions that were had of me back home, but it was in a completely different form. So one, I, I, I didn't look like anyone else. Like I, I never felt like people were putting me down because I didn't have as much as they did. It was just they felt superior to, towards me just because of my complexion. Mm. And so I think um, the most important thing that I want to say today is that we need to look at primary schools and high schools and how they tackle um, racism. Because I feel like there's, especially with like um, teachers, how they interact with children, I think teachers need, need to be culturally aware. Because I feel like um, a lot of the boys that I grew up with, they got turned off from, from schooling because of the interactions they had with the teachers. They believed that the teachers didn't have their best interests at heart. As an African young person, I can say that we as a community feel like the schooling system wasn't built for us. And I feel like as long as it's not changed, then I don't think we can succeed. Mm-hmm. So what sort of change do you want to see predominantly happen in schools? Is this like primary schools or high schools or both or you know, more programs about being more culturally aware? So the listeners can understand what I mean when I say um, racism. Because, like, at no point in time, teachers or anyone, like, comedy N-word or, you know what I mean, it was nothing, like, bland in racism. Yep. It was the stuff that basically I perceived as racism that was never discussed. So I'll give you an example. Ever since from when I was year two, um, they placed us in levels of reading ability. So you have the lowest level, medium, and highest. And basically, one thing I took pride in was my reading. And I, 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 was, I was a very good reader. Every single year, I always have to prove myself to the teacher and make it up to the highest level. And the following year, the teacher wouldn't even look at my reports to, to check my reading ability. It was automatically presumed that I couldn't read, and I was placed at the lowest level. And this is something that happened every single year, and was one that I identified at a, at a young age. And to give you another experience, of the type of racism that I experienced in school. Mm-hmm. Every time I handed work to a teacher, if I did an essay, I will get one of two reactions. The first would be, Muhammad, is this really your work? Did you copy this? And the second one would be, oh, wow, that's like amazing. And I took offense to both of them because one was saying, okay, they don't believe that a young black person can produce something of this quality. And the other one was like, they're so shocked that a young black person can produce something of this quality. There's many, many, many situations like this that young people face in the schooling system. There's like a spectrum to it, but yeah, and it's and I completely understand your frustration. On our last episode, we spoke to Rocky, and she um, expressed the you know similar feelings towards school and the lack of programs and support that a lot of um, students from um, minority communities face. It sucks, especially when when there are that small number of teachers that do kind of ruin it for you and that ruin the school experience, unfortunately. I just wanted to ask, hearing about your frustrations and you know these experiences that you've had to face from such a young age, how did you go about taking those, making them into a passion and you know going to the United Nations, um, being involved in CMY and now um, AMSA Youth and, and everything like that? So, I feel like... Me personally, I became socially conscious at a young age, and I think that was um, developed through my personal experiences, whether I was in school, whether I was interacting with different people. I saw an injustice that I believed needed to be rectified, 
and I saw um, a lot of people in my community basically giving up because they believed that um, they couldn't succeed because there was no one in that position of power to look up to. You might not know this, but me growing up, I had um, a, a, like a very severe stutter. So um, at times my body used to rock, my tongue used to twitch, and I couldn't really be involved in anything. And then um, when I was in year 10, I attended a, spe- a speech therapy class. I completely got better, and it was intensive two-week training. And then when I came back, I felt like it was my obligation to basically, this is my second chance, to get my voice heard, be out there, and try to make a difference. Mm. At first, I tried to change the environment of my school, because I feel like it's very important that if we have the opportunity to change the environment in our school. So I went for debating, and I went for the school leadership team, both of which have, have never had a black person apply for them before. And so it was, it was a very daunting task, but um, the following year, our entire debating team was now African. And seeing the impact that had, like, as soon as I started that precedent, other people wanted to follow. Yeah. That showed me the, the power of being a role model. So, and also, like, applying for school captain, I did that, and I saw my entire school environment begin to shift. Now, young, young people, like year seven, year eight, can look up to year 12, and see one of the four school captains, an African person, and be able to basically share connection and see that person as a role model, I think basically um, allowed for my school environment to change. Yeah, 100%. I guess you have to start you know, somewhere and then see that impact grow. Even when you do leave school, you can, you can still leave that impact there. Yep. Recently, I think we can all say that all of our social medias have been flooded with the Black Lives Matter movement in Australia and in America and pretty much all around the world, which is amazing. What do you think about Australia's representation of um, specifically young Sudanese youth, as dubbed by the media, that we see you know, in nearly every day? How do you think that we can go about to change this narrative? I feel like um, changing the, the narrative is one of the most important things that I think us as, as young people and people that want to be leaders need to push to the forefront of our discussions. And if you think about the media yeah, and the impact they have, not just on influencing people's actions, but um, influencing how they think and how they perceive situations in life in general, what I've seen the effects of the media depiction of, of young South Sudanese boys as gangs, the effects that has had on younger people has been absolutely catastrophic. Because me personally, I deal with um, a lot of the younger people in my community between 11 to 14. And just seeing them constantly watch the TV and be reminded about how society views their people, about how they view them as, as, as a gang and so forth, I think that just makes you give up. And I think it's easier for us to say, if that's how society thinks of us, isn't it just easier just to act that way? Why do I have to prove myself if people are just automatically going to think that that's how I behave? Mm. It's had a very detrimental effect on, on, on younger people. And and what do you think that they can do in, in different ways to battle that narrative? Yep. I think like, the only way this is going to change in a meaningful way is if the media is on board. And I think there's so many people in our community doing awesome work, amazing work, but it's sad that a small percent, less than 1%, is getting so much attention, which is like basically 
taken away from all the good our community is doing. So I think the media is obliged to now focus on the good that our community is doing and identify those organizations or groups or young people that are doing good work and highlight their work and push it to the forefront of um, the political um, like discussions. It does, yeah. I, I completely agree with you and I think we need to see more and more voices being shared and, and narratives reclaimed by the people that do own them. How do you think that we can also empower more youth refugees to share their stories and talk about what they're passionate about like you're doing? So I think what I've tried to do in that space is I've established um, a social enterprise called Endeavour Youth Australia. And what we are primarily do is we identify and invest in young multicultural people. Because we, we understand that everyone has different talents. And I think if we identify different people in our community that are good at different things and identify and invest in those attributes, I think we can start seeing more people become leaders and more people in positions of power. And that's one thing me personally I want to do is that get more young people to have a voice. Because I feel like now most of the um, political discussion is done by politicians who are not on the ground that are not on the field, and that are not seeing basically how we live life. That mm. makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's take it back to when you were, um, you know, when you first arrived in Australia. Is yeah. there something that you wish you told your younger self when you came here? One thing I wish I told my my younger self to always value yourself. I think it's it's important for us to mind young people that they are important and that their voice matters and that they can have the support and will have the support if they need it. I know that you're very passionate about the mental health of young people and I'm just interested to find out how have you found that, you know, opening up that mental health discussion in minority communities, um, I know in my own community it's there is still that stigma around it. Um, how have you found ways to kind of overcome that and have that discussion with youth and elders? Yeah, I think like mental, mental health, there's a there, there's stigma surrounding that and I, and I feel like people are afraid or scared to speak about their issues because they feel like if they do speak about their issues, they'll be pushed aside and, and looked at a certain way. Now, I feel like we need to normalise the conversation, normalise having a safe space where people can come and discuss issues and situations that they're going to. Because I feel like now we get too emotionally attached to different issues. And if we forget that the most important thing is to take care of ourselves, then we cannot be at the best of our ability to combat that issue. It basically, me, like me personally, you know, um, I, I suffered severe anxiety when I did have my start. And for, for a very long time, I didn't want to do the things I wanted to do because I was afraid that people might laugh at me and make fun of me. Then when I started to get a voice, I felt obliged that I came now to speak about what I went through and try to make it easier on other people that don't have that voice and that are too scared to speak about it. So that's why I try to always put mental health, self-care, mindfulness, push to the forefront of, 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 of discussions that I have with youth or with different organizations or, or um, government. Absolutely. It's hard to kind of take a step back and reflect on your own self-care to be able to 
to to do something about those issues. So yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, and like what I feel like is is that people feel a sense of hopelessness when they feel like they can't or they are not doing enough. We we need to understand, okay, what are our strengths, what are our weaknesses, and in what degree we can help. And and if if you can't help physically, I feel like it's important to come to terms with that. That okay, I might not be able to help in this regard, but what are other ways I can do? Like raising awareness of the issue is 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 is, is one thing you can do. Um, sharing on social media, speaking to friends, speaking to families, and if anyone is ever going through through something, I can speak on this personally. It's the best thing to do is to speak to your friends, your family, and have that support system around you, because you never want to be going through something and to go through it alone. There are all these platforms out there for you to amplify your voices. There's all this help out there if you need it. There's Lifeline Australia. There's all these different organisations doing amazing work in mental health. Absolutely, yeah. We just need more young people to to realise that there is support out there, um, even if it feels like there isn't. Um, So thank you for reiterating that message along. I just want to say a big thank you uh, to you, Mohammed, for joining me in this amazing discussion that we've had um, today. I know you've been really busy with so many amazing advocacy programs and we can't wait to see what you get up to in the future. We'll make sure we share any work or any organizations and um, anything that Endeavor Youth gets up to. So thank you so much for um, chatting to me. Uh, thank you thank you very much for having me. Um, you guys are doing amazing work amplifying um, migrant voices and just keep doing what you're doing. It's, it's having an um, amazing impact. Thank you very much. Thank you.